0: Now, let's get to the heart of the matter. Why, hello, everyone, and welcome back to this episode of the Heart of Dating podcast. I'm your host, Kate Warman. and listen, you guys, I am so grateful that you tune into this show week after week. It's honestly such a gift to know that you listen and know that it blesses you. I really mean that. Now, today's episode is near and dear to my heart because it covers a topic that is so, so personal for me. We're talking about abuse and learning to love again. But we actually take it a step further in this episode because our beautiful guest today has such a unique and powerful story. We actually talk about her journey out of prostitution, addiction, and trafficking, and into recovery and freedom. Now, who am I talking about? Well, I am talking about the absolutely amazing and wonderful Holly Christine Hayes. And guys, I'm not going to lie, since recording this episode with Holly, we connected so much that we've actually become real life friends. We've become really close over the last few months. She is a phenomenal woman with a powerful story and a beautiful heart. And get this, you guys, she runs the incredible brand Sanctuary Project, which is a fabulous jewelry line that empowers and helps women out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Today, Holly and I talk about the abuse cycle how it sucks you in and can warp your mind. We also talk about spotting signs of an abuser. And we also discuss learning to love again after going through trauma. It is a beautiful conversation. Now, before I introduce the amazing Holly, I just want to say that I recently realized that Heart of Dating is listened to in over 200 countries. Y'all, 200 countries. That is insane to me. I am so amazed. Some of the top countries that people are tuning into the Heart of Dating podcast include the USA, Canada, Australia, the UK, South Africa, Germany, New Zealand, the Philippines, and Singapore. It's so beyond bonkers to me, you guys, that we have people from all over the world. Now, that being said, if you've been listening for a while or are brand new here and have never left us a review, might I implore you to consider ranking and writing us a review on iTunes? All you have to do is go to the Purple Apple Podcast app, then find Heart of Dating, scroll down to the bottom, and you will see where it shows you stars and rank us. And then you can hit the button that says, write a review. Here's a recent review that we got from Christy. After going through a tough recent breakup, this podcast has been a blessing from God. I'm realizing my toxic traits along with learning how to heal them. It's also helped me to realize how toxic my ex was to me in return. I now feel like I have some sort of idea of what I want in a future partner. I was so scared to be entering my 30s single as I have very few single friends remaining. But this podcast has brought me peace and comfort. Thank you for this blessing during such a rough period of my life. My gosh, I just love that review from Christy. Thank you, Christy. And I think that's a perfect segue into our episode for today. Holly Christine Hayes is the founder and CEO of Sanctuary Project, a survivor nonprofit social enterprise employing and empowering women who have survived lives of trafficking, violence, and addiction. Holly was rescued out of a life of trauma nearly 20 years ago and knows the path to recovery can be long and rocky. Her vision and leadership create a safe space for other survivors to grow in practical skills, unleash their creativity, embrace their femininity, and heal their hearts, all in community with other survivors. Sanctuary Project was named Business to Watch by Austin Woman Magazine in 2020 and has been featured by media outlets such as Good Morning America, The Real, and NBCLX. An award-winning author of the book From Basement to Sanctuary, Holly is passionate about sharing her vulnerable journey of healing. She speaks in jails, churches, recovery communities, and conferences all over the globe. Y'all, Holly is phenomenal. I love this woman so, so, so much, and you are going to see why once you hear this conversation today. So, I hope you get ready and tune in to this beautiful conversation with my brand new dear friend, Holly Christine Hayes. Holly, oh my goodness, welcome to the Heart of Dating podcast, girl. Thank you so much for having me. This is such a joy. I'm so excited to connect with you. And just even the brief time connecting before we got on air, I'm like, oh, this is going to be such a great conversation. I already feel like I kind of know you. (laughs) And I'm just so excited to hear your story and have all the listeners hear your story, which is such a beautifully profound story about how God redeemed so much in your life. Uh, But before we get into all that, the first thing I wanted to say, because we didn't talk about this before we got on air, is you actually lived in New York and Paris. And you worked in fashion at some point, like in New York. And that, from that alone, we are kindred spirits, my friend, because I also lived in New York and Paris, and I worked in fashion in New York. And I just, when I heard that about you, I was like, oh my God this is my
1: girl yes I did and um when I was in my 20s I I was living in New York I mean I was like fresh out of college and so um you know really dreamed of when you're living in New York you're like around all this like fashion right you're in the fashion world and so I dreamed of being a designer and I started working in retail do you did you ever go to the boutique Pookie and Sebastian no I didn't where is that well, there, there's a few locations. So I was working in the Murray Hill location, but there's an Upper East Side, or an Upper West Side, Murray Hill, and then there's a downtown one. But it was so much fun. And I learned about... Um, I did I got to do some buying, I got to do some sourcing and um and just and worked in retail and just learned about fashion and got so burned out so quickly. I mean, I was like, Yep, <laughs> I, I got so discouraged at a very, very young age and and kind of gave up on that dream a little bit, but it was something that was really stored away in my heart. That uh, that the Lord rebirthed when I built sanctuary project. So it's it's so cool. I love that we share that. Where did you work? Who did you work for? Yeah, I love it. And it's so funny
0: because people here on heart of dating barely even know that that's my story, part of my story, because we talk so much about dating and my relational history and things that we skip right over the fact that I worked in fashion for several years. And so yeah, in New York, I actually worked at Barney's back in the day when they were thriving, and it was so much fun. I was doing uh, buying for women's designer ready to wear, and it was just. So- so much fun. What and a dream. Yes. It what totally a dream. was the fashion dream. Like, you know, going to fashion week, going to Paris, going to Milan. I, I mean, I loved it, but similarly to you, I got – a thousand percent burnt out I was going to Milan about 12 times a year which was so cool and people Casual. hear that and they're like oh my gosh that's amazing <laughs> As one does, yeah yeah, yeah. And I was like, you don't you don't go to Milan <laughs> yeah. 12 times a year <laughs> yeah I'm like you don't what Milano no no but it was it was so fun but at the same time draining I mean because I would go sometimes for 24 ish hours like I would go on an overnight flight, arrive, do the buys that day, and then fly out the next morning. And, you know, then I would go to work the next day. And so it was like in and out. And so yes, it sounds glamorous, but then at the same time you're like sleep deprived and stressed and you have to do the buys and it's exciting. It sounds like an abusive relationship yeah, to me, really, go.
1: when I hear that. Yes, so there's a highs and a lows. <laughs> it sounds like you didn't have
0: boundaries. Exactly. exactly. Girl, <laughs> a thousand percent. But it was also, you know, living that New York high life, I had no idea how to balance my life. I just thought this is how everyone did it, you know? Until...
1: Well, everyone does do it like yes, that in New York. It is true. really normal. And you can't set boundaries or or speak up because then there's another girl right behind you who's yep. kill, who would die for your job, exactly. right? Exactly. It's and like so the devil If you say anything, anything, you're, they're like, um, okay, well
0: we can just replace you. (laughs) I'm
1: like, okay, exactly. You're, you're a number really, you know? And yeah. and you're lucky to have a job in fashion at all. And by the way, I think I was making $25,000 a year yes, and working the, the same hours part. you were. And yeah. <laughs> I don't know how we did it. I I mean, No, yeah, it, was it was wild. <laughs> it was like
0: we're expected to wear nice high fashion clothes but get paid nothing. It was it's just such a weird industry. It's like amazing and super fun for a time, but it's also baffling. I'm like, I just recently watched the movie Cruella. I don't, have you seen that on Disney?
1: No, I haven't seen okay. it. Okay. Should I see it? Yes.
0: It's fabulous. It's perfect. It's such a good movie. And the fashion part of it is so fun. But it's kind of like a Devil Wears Prada twist. In what way? There's similar characters in that way. But it is, it's just like she, the main like kind of cruel woman outside of Cruella is terrible. And yet she is, it's kind of the epitome of, it's like a very dramatized version of fashion. They get there at 5 a.m. and they slave their days away. And like they do anything for this woman who's the designer. It's so
1: funny, but I was like, I'm trying to build that company culture at Sanctuary Project, but I haven't been able to do it yet. It's so weird. (laughs) I'm like, why are you guys not working around the clock and worshiping me and everything I do and wear? Oh my gosh. (laughs) I love that that's
0: so funny oh my goodness well I love that y'all we need can... to go work in New York for a bit yeah. and then come back yeah. and work for go me work in New York. <laughs> go work for Anna Wintour and then come back here okay yeah. then you'll be ready yeah no even for me today I'm I'm still sometimes a self-proclaimed workaholic and so I have to find my boundaries even today it's a struggle Same. the boundaries are a struggle I'm like oh not everyone works like they used to live in
1: New York and okay yes I get it okay but it is for- like it's it's a it it's something that was fed to us when we lived in New York because your whole value is like wrapped up in that and how how long are the hours you're working And it's so true. I mean, it's been such a struggle for me. Workaholism has been a struggle for me as well, really, since my young 20s. And I think it's because of that. Yes.
0: And I don't know about this for you, but I know for me, and this is transitioning to our conversation too, but actually at the time I was in New York, I was also in an abusive relationship while I was working in fashion. And so for me, because there was so much pain and trauma behind the scenes in my life, I really poured myself that much more into work and that became like the area that I was good at or the area I could find value because I felt so little of it in my relationship outside of that and so you know for me it was just that much more of an addiction to work because I was like well I'm good at this and you know this is the only thing that seems to be going right in my life so
1: anyway and it's safer yeah, right because yeah. it's closed, and they can't hurt you
0: Yes, exactly. And they don't know what's going on. I could pretend to be whoever I wanted to be at the office. They didn't know what was going on in my private life. And that's what was happening. I was a secretive, you know, abusive situation that on the outside, nobody really would have been able to figure out that I was in. And so, well, we ta- we touched on it a little bit, Holly, but you do such incredible work with Sanctuary Project. So bringing back in the fashion, everything with your fashion DNA, but now you're using it in such a beautiful way with a profound cause and purpose. And so before we get into some of your story, would you just be able to tell us a little bit about Sanctuary Project and how that kind of came to be?
1: Yeah. So we're a nonprofit social enterprise and employ women coming out of trafficking, violence, and addiction. I started it in 2018, and I'm a survivor myself. I came out of that life 20 years ago. And over those years, um, beyond just like what you were talking about, escaping into work and, and building a career, I also have have mentored other girls coming out of trafficking and violence and addiction and encouraged them in career because it is an area that we can actually, you know, on the positive side of sort of like escaping into work, it's an area we can rebuild our self-esteem and our sense of self-worth and when you've been trafficked specifically that sense of self-worth and work is really what's exploited yeah. and so to to find meaningful and dignified employment and to and to rebuild that area of our lives and hearts that's been most destroyed and uh, really perverted through that exploitation is just one of the most healing things i've experienced and seen in in the lives of the women i've mentored so sanctuary project is a safe place for them to land when they're coming out of that life and and to rebuild their lives and their hearts and their resumes.
0: I love that. That's, you know, one of the biggest things you're touching on is that sense of worthiness and it gets so lost and distorted from abuse. Like it really, and it's, it it really does when you're in that place, when you're in the abuse. And if you get out of the abuse, you feel like you're the only one, like I'm the only one that feels I'm so unworthy. I'm so unloved. I'm so scarred Mm -hmm. and marred or whatever. And it's, there's such a need for what you've created, which is both a a sense of redefined worth and value and who you are and what you have to bring to the world, even through your craft. And then also like community, you know, it's so important to, to know that you are not alone. And to, that is so like a big thing for me that I know would have helped me way back when I was going through this would have been to know that I wasn't alone. I really thought for myself, like, there, nobody else can be going through this. Like, this is just me. And so that sense of community of like, we're rebuilding together and having people around you is just so beautiful and so healing. So I I just think it's amazing what you're doing.
1: Thank you. It is really powerful. Just, you know, that, that, like you said, that you're not alone. And I think for me, I, I was really blessed to have landed in the 12 step recovery community when I was coming out of my addiction and exploitation. And that was what I had to land in. I had this sort of like, this pillow of community that was you're not alone. And and I think it was one of the most vital things in me healing my heart was to be surrounded by and it still is today because I'm still part of that community. And uh, you know, and being in that community where you share your sort of deepest, darkest shames and most broken parts of yourself. And then you're met with, oh my gosh, me too. And you can even laugh about that pain and how far you've come from it and encourage each other and reflect back to each other's sanity and the moments you need it and it's been so beautiful to see that in the ladies i get to work with and you know even for myself at 20 years out of this life to be surrounded by other women who've come out of it too it's done something for me even all these years later in in that rebuilding of my sense of self worth
0: yeah oh i love that so holly obviously we've touched a little bit about your story but i'd love to just dive in a little bit more if you're okay with it and how you you know how it began how did your, how what was your upbringing like and how did it kind of lead you into some of the abusive situations that you found yourself in? So I'd love to hear some of it. I might have some questions for you as you're talking, but um, we'll just throw it to you and then we can dive in.
1: I grew up in a good family. I grew up in the San Francisco Bay Area and Um, pretty normal home and childhood. Both my parents were professors. We were an upper middle class family and nothing was wrong from the outside. I think from the outside, everything looked perfect. You know, We had like three kids, the dog, the minivan, then the very normal American life. Um, But there was some sexual abuse in my childhood from a caretaker that no one knew about that I didn't even know about until several years later because my brain had done what brains often do Mm -hmm. in young traumas, which is block that memory. And then Um, And then my parents divorced when I was 13, and that really hit me hard um i think that 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 trauma sort of combined with that early childhood sexual abuse trauma and just told me that relationships are dangerous and your sexuality is your only value and um and i think that that set me off on this this road of the next what the next seven years looked like um, i started drinking and using drugs around that time and that was the perfect escape for me it really helped me feel better and it and it was really normal like in high school you know it was like the keg parties and the you know and like the football games and it was it was normal right um in my high school at least and I didn't grow up in like Christian culture at all so I wasn't the youth group kid I was the other kid yeah and so I didn't (laughs) the other kid like I was (laughs) the other kid. I was the kid that no one even invited to youth group because they were Uh, like don't hang out with her or you might like get accidentally drunk or high. (laughs) Right. Oh no (laughs) those are the kids that hang out by the tree in the parking lot. (laughs) Oh my God. I was that kid. <laughs> and and so um so it started off really you know I would say innocent it started off like kind of normal high school drinking and and using of drugs and then for me because I had all this trauma that was latent from that childhood sexual abuse and and that trauma from the destruction of my family unit I just was using it to medicate and it progressed really, really quickly and it, it got out of control very quickly. So by 15, I was drinking and using drugs every day. And by 16, I dropped out of high school and had my first of five abortions. By 18, I was I was getting arrested all the time. I was in abusive relationships and um, really had set this pattern of this is what I was comfortable in. So at 19, when I met my trafficker, um, he, was, he was my perfect guy because <laughs> he had had a life very similar to mine. And he made me feel seen and known and understood and valued and loved and cherished. And he made me feel cool and special. And all those things felt like things I would never have because I had been so promiscuous and I had... Um, I'd been so used and, you know, being a drunk girl in high school, who's kind of pretty, like you're going to have a lot of sex and it's not going to be your choice all the time, you know? And that was, that just became normal for me. I met him at a party in uh, my junior year of college and I was 19 and he saw me from across the room and, and it was like, it was like he saw into my soul and, and so it was impossible for me to not just kind of fall head over heels for this man. He was a charismatic figure. Yeah, he was a little bit older. He was cool. He had sold drugs, and I had sold drugs, and we just clicked. Um, and and I thought he loved me. And then about a year into the relationship, it was when it became violent um, I I learned he had other girls kind of early on. Um, but, but he would hide it a little bit and then he would, and then he would kind of talk about it like it was normal. And so there was a lot of manipulation going on around his relationships with other women and, um, and kind of setting up this sense of competition between me and other women. And And so um, not to stop you, but I'm super curious that first year that you were dating, you didn't know
0: he was a trafficker, right? Like that wasn't you didn't really know no. until later on you just thought you guys no, were in a committed all. relationship and he really cared about you he really loved you and you deeply connected
1: yeah and i mean i knew that he had some sexual perversions um i knew he was a pedophile and um you know i knew i knew that he was he was living outside the norm sexually speaking um that he had kinks and he had perversions and that he'd done some things that were like that i would never say on air um i knew that there were was some sickness there but i thought well i mean i had not acted out in those ways but i thought that was what i deserved right because i had been so promiscuous and and so i thought well this is the only type of man that would ever love someone like me and I didn't, I, I I sort of ignored those red flags. Um, and if anything, I felt this weird sort of like sense of competition with those kinks and perversions where it was like, oh, I need to be so sexy for him so that he doesn't do these other things, right? Right, um, wow, and, yeah. And, and that really set up, again, that sense of competition. So I knew he wasn't like a sexually healthy person and I knew that there was a a lot of sort of exploitation that had happened in his life and around him. And, um, I actually knew that his father owned a sex slave. That was something that he told me early on in the relationship. There was some introduction to it. And I think some real grooming that was happening from the beginning around, um, really skewing what was normal, right? Like introducing things that were outside of the norm to the point that then they became part of the norm of our dynamic in that relationship.
0: Well, okay. So it's sounding like this first year too, there was a lot of, and I'm sure moving after that first year when you kind of found out more about the trafficking situation Like how did the abuse cycle play out for you guys? Like the highs and the lows, because I can totally relate to that. And I think whenever I've talked about the abuse cycle and whether someone's listening, maybe – maybe they've just been, they haven't been in the situation quite like you, Holly, but they've been in some kind of abusive situation. I think it's so good to call out what kind of those highs and lows look like and what kind of sucks you in to make you feel madly in love. You talked about some of them, like he made you feel so seen. He made all these connections, but I'd love to know like kind of how, now that you're a little more, way more removed from it,
1: what were some of those highs and lows that you experienced dating him? It's such an important thing for us to talk about because a lot of people, especially in the church, will focus on my trafficking, like that's the worst thing that happened to me. And I have to be really honest, it wasn't. Um, The actual like trafficking part of our relationship was very brief. I exited it very quickly. It was not like my bottom, um, and it wasn't the worst thing that happened to me. But the abuse that I suffered within that relationship, both physical and psychological, were. And it was something that I was very aware was going on, but could not stop the cycle of. Yeah, because what exactly. would happen was like, I would, I mean, first in the beginning, he made me feel so loved. Right. And yes. so then when, when it's like he the was love violent,
0: bombing and the, and the connection, oh, yeah. you're like, Oh wow. I've never felt so seen you're Like soulmate, and so cared right? for. Yes. Soulmate. Yep.
1: Mm-hmm. yes. And so then once you feel that sense of soulmate, it's like, you're, you've already said I'm in like what, you know, like ride or die, right. let's do this. And so when it became violent, it was like the violence was so destructive to my sense of identity I'd placed on the relationship, which was soulmate and, you know, the greatest love I'll ever know. And so when it was violent, it was like, okay, well, that was just a moment. But then it was always followed by his sort of remorse and and a pulling back in. Um, Usually there was makeup sex involved. Yeah, Um, there was, you know, and, and sex played such a huge role in this because from the beginning, the relationship. Was very sexual. And I felt so bonded to him sexually. So that when it was violent, it was almost like the violence was an outgrowth of the of the sex. And, and he started introducing the violence into the sex. And then those lines were were starting to blur of like, okay, so this type of violence is okay within the sexual environment, but it's not okay outside of it. But we've blurred the lines now. And and so it was this cycle of my um my dopamine levels really being triggered constantly with. Um, the violence feeling so high stakes and then the love that came after it and the makeup and all of that was just adding to this addiction really that I had to yeah. him. Yeah. And I couldn't get away from it. Even though I knew it was dangerous, I knew he was terrible for me. I knew he was like a terrible human being truly, but I, I just could not get away from him. My body, my soul, my mind all craved him.
0: And then there's this disorientation in your mind where you're like, I know this is bad. I know I should get away from this, but I can't. I can't, and I, or I want him to change, or I want it to work, and I want it, and you because your. I value, believe it'll be like it was. Yes, exactly, yeah. and and they'll He's really slip, a great guy deep yeah, down. Yeah, deep down, like you want to see the best in that person, and like, yep. and that's the the biggest. I think one of the biggest issues we have in abuse uh, I've experienced is like we want to see the best in someone so much so that we cling onto it, which becomes the codependency. And we see glimmers of it. You know, we see glimmers of, Oh, they're not the worst person in the world and they could be better. But you know, the thing for an, a, being in an abusive situation is you cannot convince that person to change. And they operate on such a different level of morals, you know, than, than, then even makes sense to you. And so you're like, well, obviously violence is bad and obviously they shouldn't be abusing me in that way, but they're going to see that they're going to change and they're going to want to be better. And you can see that, but they can't, you know? And so you hold on to that idea that maybe they could be different or maybe it could go back to how it was.
1: Oh my God. Or goodness. maybe I could be better and yes, then, and then he'll stop yes. doing it too, because there's always this sense that like, well, you drove me to it. Yeah. that's And that true. really yes. like plays into it too, right? Because then that's like, oh, I'm someone. I remember even like saying this to my therapist, like somewhat recently. I was like, but I could, I could draw that out in any man, like, I could make any man want to hit me because. I could drive them so crazy that that's the only response they could possibly have. And, like, no, that's not a healthy way to see yourself, right? But that was what, that was the message I got was that I was driving him so crazy with my whatever, with my antics, with the way I talked to him, with the way I responded, with my jealousy, whatever it was, I was driving him so crazy that he couldn't help but respond in those violent ways. And so that does a real number on your self-esteem too, because you get this message implanted on you that I'm crazy. I'm going to drive any man to this. I could make any man be this violent. So therefore the problem is me and not him. And if I can just be better, if I could just be better, then it won't be this way. Yeah. So even in
0: the moments where you know, it's not right that these things are happening, there's something deep down that still says, but I deserve this or I caused it somehow. And so it's so disorienting. You're like, this isn't right, but maybe I caused it. Maybe I deserve it. And it's because of all the messaging that you're getting internally from that person. Oh my gosh. I I remember being in that cycle myself and in my past abusive relationship and just feeling like, Literally to your point of the word crazy, like I felt so – I did not – I didn't trust myself at all. I lost full, you know, ability to, to really believe myself or value myself at all. And so when you don't have those tools in a relationship, when you don't feel like you can trust yourself, when you don't feel like you value yourself, it makes it exponentially more hard to walk away from something that's really bad for you.
1: Right, because you're just assuming well, I'll probably walk into something else that's really similar. And I did. <laughs> I don't know about you, but yeah, I, yeah. you know, I definitely repeated that to to different degrees and in different ways in other relationships going forward because it was what I started to think even subconsciously I deserved. Yeah.
0: Yeah. It's like your picker or it's so it's big. It's your, yeah, your your picker gets yeah, broken. Yeah, your picker is broken. And then <laughs> internally it's normal. Like it's almost like logically in my mind, I know it's not right, but internally there's something else that just feel like the the, disor- the chaos feels normal. The abuse feels normal. It's so strange. And and I've, found, I've had actually the hardest time personally over the years healing and coming in contact with guys that were actually healthy, consistent men. I did not believe it was true. I was like, there's something wrong with them. This person's off. I can't, like, <laughs> this is not right. And I've had friends and of course, therapists, my therapist that's been like, no, no, no. I think you're just fighting against something that's actually healthy because your body is so conditioned to the chaos, the ups and downs, the drama, the not feeling seen. And so when somebody's actually secure or loving or and really does hear you, you're like, there's something wrong with them. <laughs>
1: It feels like an itchy sweater, right? I mean, yeah, that's what I've likened it to is- That's it. I remember sort of forcing myself to date nice guys because I was like, surely I need to just like do, you know, like behavior modification style. Like I'm just going to date the nice guy, even though it feels like an itchy sweater. I inevitably would like cheat on him and like break up with him and, you know, yeah. ruin ruin that and blow it up. And, <laughs> you know, for years, for years, I lived in that cycle of like trying to date the nice guy, and be like, but I just don't feel the chemistry. And then I feel the chemistry- with someone who's a total narcissist, and yep. you know, and and different different types of abusers, right? That's where I felt chemistry, which were so like because that's chemically what my brain was used to like you were saying and so that's where I felt alive and that's where I felt comfortable and that's where I felt seen and I felt like myself and um and slowly over the years what one of the coolest journeys I went through really in healing was slowly over the years watching the the narcissist become like an itchy sweater and my last two boyfriends before my husband my now husband Jeff and his name's Jeff you know he was like you know he's like that he's like the sweetest little like basic guy. He's just like, I'm just, I love like, it. Like he was like a guy I never in a million years would have gone out with, you know? Um, but the two boyfriends yeah. before him were both narcissists. And um and the last one was not an abuser. The one before that definitely was starting to show signs of emotional abuse. And it I am telling you, it was an itchy sweater and I didn't want to wear it. And I was like, wow, this is progress. Like this guy doesn't feel comfortable anymore. And that was when I knew that I was really healing and that I was really ready for something new. Holly, that's beautiful. And I love that
0: people can hear that because if somebody is listening, getting out of an abusive situation, it can feel, and I remember that moment of when I started actually going into recovery myself and and thinking like, how am I going to be able to trust myself or trust that I'm not going to date someone like this again? And how am I going to be able to spot this? You know, like you feel so um, vulnerable to, you know, that if you meet somebody who's really charismatic, I've had a really hard time in my life where then since meeting people who are charismatic, I was like, is this person an abuser? And I am assuming everyone is. Yeah. It's after Halloween, which means for me, it is Christmas time. Totally, y'all. I am not one of those people that waits to do Christmas after Thanksgiving, and I love it that way. Now, if you're anything like me and you want to win that best gift giver ever award this season, well, let me let you into a little secret. It's Uncommon Goods. They literally have so many creative and amazing things for the holiday season. Uncommon Goods has just right gifts for all your loves and likes. We're talking moms and dads, teens, in-laws, your significant other, all the things you guys. It's not just stuff that you can find anywhere else. Uncommon Goods has unique and creative gifts, often handmade by independent artists and makers. And they have gift guides to help you match the right gift to the right person. Recently, I got a really cool My Life Story So Far journal, which is such a creative gift to give to someone else. I definitely get this for my mom, a good friend, or even a teenage niece. Now, who knows what holiday shopping is going to look like this season? And that's why I love the unique gifts at Uncommon Goods. They could also really sell out fast, you guys. So I would recommend take a look at them now and get all of your holiday shopping taken care of early. Uncommon Goods looks for products that are high quality, unique, and often handmade or made in the US. Uncommon Goods also offers uncommon experiences. You can choose from live online classes in mixology, cooking, flower arranging, embroidery, and more from all sorts of handpicked artists and experts. And with every purchase you make at Uncommon Goods, they give back $1 to a nonprofit partner of your choice. So to get 15% off your next gift, go to uncommongoods.com slash H-O-D. That's uncommongoods.com slash H-O-D for 15% off. Do not miss out on this limited time offer, you guys. Get your holiday shopping done early. Visit Uncommon Goods. They are all out of the ordinary. In case you guys didn't know, I actually have to be careful of the foods I eat because I have chronic illness. As it turns out, I'm also allergic to gluten and corn. And honestly, it can be difficult to find snacks and delicious things I love at certain stores. But guess what? My friends at Imperfect Foods are turning this around by sourcing quirky but delicious foods and delivering them to you in a way proven to reduce emissions. Imperfect Foods is a grocery delivery service offering an entire line of sustainable groceries that taste delicious and reduce waste. It's an amazing way to get yummy snacks and also make a difference in our food system. You can visit imperfectfoods.com to see if they deliver in your area. Once you sign up, you can personalize your weekly grocery order with fresh seasonal produce, pantry staples, and yummy snacks. You guys, I actually just did this, and I ordered a ton of my favorite snacks, snacks that I can only get at certain stores, and it was so exciting. I was like, oh my gosh, they have all of my favorite snacks, snacks that are gluten-free, snacks that are corn-free, things that I know are going to be so good. I also ordered this delicious organic meat fajita that I'm like really excited to try. And guess what, you guys? Right now, Imperfect Foods is offering our listeners 20% off your first four orders when you go to imperfectfoods.com and use the promo code HEART. That's 20% off your first four orders and that's up to an $80 value at imperfectfoods.com using the promo code HEART. You guys, I cannot wait to get my snacks in the mail. It comes at you every single week, but you get to customize your order at the beginning of the week. I hope you enjoy it as much as I do. Alright, you guys, I'm so excited to share with you about a product that I've been using for months. This last summer in the summer of 2021, I started going on a really intense health journey to work through some of my chronic illness. And with that, I had to change up a lot of my diet. And that's why I'm so excited to have discovered this brand Organifi. Organifi is a line of organic superfood blends that offer plant-based nutrition made with high quality ingredients. Each Organifi blend is science-backed to craft the most effective doses with ingredients that are organic and free of fillers and contain less than 3 grams of sugar per serving. One of the things that I've been using consistently is the Organifi Green Juice, which has essential superfoods and a clinical dose of ashwagandha. I've actually put it every single morning into my green smoothie and it is so good. It helps reduce stress and support healthy cortisol levels. I've also been using the Organifi Red Juice Blend, which also supports focus and energy. And lastly, I've been using the Organifi Gold, a superfood tea that supports rest and relaxation so you can wake up feeling refreshed. Each Organifi Blend is easy to use by simply mixing it with water or your favorite beverage while on the go, and they don't compromise quality for taste. Organifi takes pride in offering the best tasting superfood products on the market at a price that works out to less than $3 a day. You can experience Organifi's high-quality superfoods without breaking the bank, which I love, of course. Go to Organifi.com forward slash HOD and use code HOD for 20% off your order. That's Organifi.com backslash HOD and use the code HOD for 20% off any item that you want. I could not recommend it more. Like I said, I've been using their products every single day and I swear by them. Excited for you to try I'd love to hear a little bit about, for you, your journey of, of healing and how you got to feeling
1: like it was the narcissist was the itchy sweater, which is such a win. <laughs> so much of it was around healing my sense of identity and self-worth. And that can sound cliche, but here's an example. Um, over the years, I, I spent so much time getting to know myself, falling in love with myself. Cheesy, right? But like, but learning to love little things about myself, like I'm a girly girl, and I'm into fashion and and decorating my home, and 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 Paris and macaroons, and like and I have a toy poodle. Oh my and like, gosh, This is who we're I am. The same right? person. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> and and to fall love in love with that, and to be like I and I am good with it. Like there's no part of me that feels like I'm putting anything on or trying to be cool or trying to. I'm just who I am. And and over the years, as I spent more time with myself and took myself out on dates. And and just like started to vibe with me and like bought myself that dress that I loved so that I could feel beautiful in it. As I started to really, oh gosh, it sounds so cheesy, but like love myself, like be good with me and take myself on adventures and take care of myself and buy myself that handbag because I earned it because I'm a workaholic and, <laughs> you know, and just, yeah, yeah. Like, and, and all the things that I did to build my sense of self-worth and identity and value, it, it was when that that um, second to last narcissistic person came along, he started to cut me down. And he was like, oh, I can't handle girly girl stuff. So don't bring any of that my way. And I was like, Oh, well, but that's who I am and it's good. And Oh, I remember, I remember we were talking about like my home and I take a lot of pride in just like how I decorate my home. Like I love beautiful spaces and I'm not like Joanna Gaines or anything, but like, I like my spaces and I make them beautiful. And, and he, and he criticized it. And he was like, he was like, he asked me, (laughs) we were having a conversation about, well, what would you want to do if you didn't do the work you do? And I said, I think I'd want to be an interior designer. And he was like, you? You couldn't be an interior designer. Your home is not even decorated well. And I was like, whoa, that's wow. not true about okay. Me. And I remember yeah. just like hearing these messages that were like critical and angry. And, and, and the biggest one was that he was, he, the whole time we were dating was struggling with my past. Couldn't decide if he could handle my past. And I was like, That is baloney. Like (laughs) Jesus already handled my past on the cross. I have handled my past and I'm the one who had to live it. Like, come on, don't come at me with you can't handle something that happened in my life 15 years ago. And so I realized that I had gotten so secure with my past, my identity, my hobbies, my looks, my passions. I was so secure in my identity that when someone tried to come in and challenge them and cut me down, it felt like an itchy sweater. It did not agree with the messages I had. Where years ago, when someone was cutting me down and belittling me and you know, calling me chubby or something, I was like, that agrees with what I tell myself. Yes. And they exactly. were, you know, saying I wasn't as pretty as her. That agrees with what I'm telling myself. And telling me I'm crazy, that agrees with what I'm telling myself. But then when it started happening later, it didn't agree, right? Because I had changed those internal messages. And that was the biggest thing. And I wish I could say it happened over the course of two years, but unfortunately, that journey was like a fifteen-year one for me. <laughs> yeah, well, that's it's a, an ever-present
0: journey that we're always fighting for. I think because no matter yeah, what in life, very true. We, you know, there's always things coming our way, and we go through something else in one year where now suddenly we're facing comparison again, or our body changes, and it's like we're constantly having to fight to really. And what I talk about, I wrote about the, you know, this in my book that came out last February, but. I talk about pretty much exactly what you're saying, Holly, which is just that learning to love yourself to not lose yourself. And that mm, for me, so to good. before my abusive situation, exactly what you said, I was just sitting here head nodding. But, you know, I was telling myself so many self-hating things already. I was so self-critical. I believed all these lies about myself because of things that had gone on in my childhood and so many other things. So eventually when the abuser came along and started cutting me down, I was like, to your point, like I agreed, like my internal self agreed with it, you know, it was like, oh, well, okay. I mean, that's kind of already true. And yeah. And so, and those self-hating, mindsets and things that we believe like will contribute to us being more susceptible to abusive situations and not only that it can also just lead us to be more susceptible to you know losing ourselves in a relationship whether or not it's with an abuser or not like it can literally make us feel that that person has you know that our value is within what this person thinks about us, how this person acts. And that's, you know, it turns into codependency where your, your happiness is built on how that person is showing up for you that day. And they're also a person in a healthy relationship, right? They're also a human being where they're not always perfect either. And so I think that this the self-hating mindsets and learning to, after an abusive situation, break those down and get curious, which is so hard. It's so, so, so hard to face those things that we don't love about ourselves, that we realize like, man, this has become so normal for me to think this way, for me to feel this way, for me to default to that mindset. And now somehow I have to work to rewire every single one.
1: And it is work. You have to actually set out and work for it because it's not going to happen accidentally. You're not going to accidentally start thinking the right kind of thoughts about yourself. It's really that taking captive every thought and making it obedient to Christ yes. and, and really yes. like asking yourself, am I, is this something I would say to a friend? Would I call my friend fat? Would I, call, would I tell my friend that she's not good enough? Would I tell my friend she's not smart enough? Would I tell my friend that she doesn't deserve better? Like never, right? We would never say that to our friend. And so I think it starts kind of with like becoming friends with yourself. Like you don't even have to start with loving yourself. Become friends yes. with yourself. Yes. Even an acquaintance. Even an acquaintance you wouldn't say that to. Become acquaintances with yourself. Yes.
0: Yes. Girl, this is so good because one of the questions I had for you is like, what's a piece of advice you give to you would give to somebody who especially a woman who's been through abuse who you know has gone through years of healing is starting this process and want to potentially start looking for love again looking to date again and so i guess i'll just throw that question at you and i'd love to just talk about like what is what did that look like for you when you started dating again eventually after going through a bunch of healing on this journey
1: you know a lot of my healing happened within the context of dating i i never stopped dating like i never had I never took a break. I, if anything, I veered on the side of codependency and sex addiction. So I kind of jumped from one relationship to the next and, and would lose myself in them, right. If they were not abusive or get abused again, if, I mean, and I did end up in several abusive relationships, even in the years after I got saved and, and, you know, and was, and was walking out a road to recovery, I was still landing in those same types of relationships, But it was practice, and you know we talked about this a little bit in the beginning. The forcing myself to go out on dates with the guy that I thought was a nice guy, and just like just sitting in it, even if it feels uncomfortable, sitting in it. Practice, 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 being treated the way you want to be treated. And then a lot of it happened in in forming healthy friendships and community too, and practicing becoming the person that the person I was looking for was looking for within the context of friendships. Right, Because friendships are a really safe place to, to practice. And and one of the things I encourage the Sanctuary Project ladies to do is to catch how they treat each other and, and the messages they hear from each other and, um, and, and the things they hear each other saying about themselves. Um, just today, actually, just this morning, one of the girls in, on our team on the Slack channel um, said something. We were messaging about something and she said, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry. I'm so stupid. And I wasn't on the channel, but I was sitting with with another one of our team members who was, and I was like, you tell her right now, don't you dare talk about my friend that way. Don't yes. you dare talk about my yes. friend like that. Because yes. for her to say, you're so stupid, if someone walked up to me and said, that person is so stupid. I would, I would beat him up. I'd be like, don't you dare, you know, I mean, how dare (laughs) you, right? But sometimes we let our girlfriends get away with it. We let our girlfriends sit there and tell us they're so stupid. They're so crazy. They're so fat. And I have to, I have to challenge us to say like, don't let your girlfriends talk to you that way about themselves. And uh, because you wouldn't let someone else talk about them that way. And so if your girlfriend starts telling you that she's fat, you shut that down and you say, don't you dare say something like that about my friend she is beautiful. She is perfect. She is fearfully and wonderfully made. She is knit together for God's perfect and design purposes. And um, yeah, I mean, I think we have to shut it down in our friends so that they can start seeing it. And then we can start really noticing it in ourselves and shut it down in ourselves as well in the same way. Why would you say that about your friend? I'm I'm a I'm 2 years out of giving birth and my body changed pretty dramatically yeah. after yeah. after oh being gosh. pregnant and becoming a mom and I was always like the skinny girl I was like skinny fat but I was always skinny and now I'm fat <laughs> I see, I just did it. Ah. Oh my gosh. Do not no, say not. that about I'm my beautiful. friend Holly. I'm beautiful.
0: <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Look at this. You We're know what practicing like, what we to, preach right
1: now. <laughs> I was just about to tell you that I have to do it all the time. I have to do it all yes. the time. As you can yes. see, I have to like reframe that messaging all the time and be like, no girl, like you're a mama. You are soft and you are wonderful and you are a cuddly place for her to land. And like, and you are a woman. You are not a little girl. Like, you're 41 years old, you do not need to be a stick figure. You know, I have to like, I have to reframe those messages I'm telling myself because otherwise I'll get back into that self-hating mindset, right?
0: Yes. It's a continual process. I mean, this is why I think it's so important that we're just staying on guard. You know, I think it's is really, really important, especially when you've been through trauma and when you've been deeply wounded by self-hating mindsets and a lot of self-hatred, which is what it is. It's just self-hating. You know, we're self-hating ourselves through all these things we believe and keeping accountable to ourselves ourselves or to other people and to ourselves consistently. You know, I think that was one of the things that I'm really passionate about is after an abusive situation, you often are, you know, you have a bit, you usually have really big issues with trust (laughs) and you have big issues with trusting people and trusting yourself. And so one of the biggest things you can do as some of one of the first steps is, well, how do you rebuild trust with yourself? you can start being kind to yourself and stop you know saying that you're going to do one thing and then doing another or stop crossing your own boundaries you you set a boundary and then you don't stick with it you know and so consistently you know building back trust with just yourself by the way you act towards yourself by following through with the things you're going to say you you're going to do so if you're going to stop self-hating actually following through with self, not self-hating anymore, you know, and keeping accountable to that and consistent with that and rebuilding your own self-trust then can help you so much with learning to trust other people because so often comes back to, it comes back to, I don't trust myself, so I don't even know how to trust other people. And so I think such a big part of that. Yeah, yeah. It's like how do we pay attention to the things we're doing to ourselves and the commitments and how we're speaking to ourselves.
1: And how we're showing up in the world. Because I think one of the things I – in the recovery community, they say self-esteem comes from doing esteemable acts. And I love that idea that like, how are you showing up in the world? Because if you're someone who's out in the world doing esteemable acts, right? Helping the old lady across the street, giving to a charity you're passionate about, it's going to build your self-esteem from the inside out too. And and so it's it, um, it's kind of like what you're talking about with that accountability towards self and that helping to build that sense of self-worth. What does what your outside life look like too? And what are you doing all day long? And is that yes. helping you to build that sense of self-worth too? Are you Doing esteemable acts in the world. Are you living in integrity? Are you are you showing up where you say you're going to show up? Are you being a good friend to the people around you? Because all those things are going to are going to add to that message that I am a woman of dignity. I show up in the world. I am honorable. I keep my word. I don't steal. I don't lie. I don't cheat. I don't you know like all whatever those things are. All doing all those esteemable acts is going to change how you view yourself as well. Mm, that's so
0: good. Oh my gosh, girl! I'm just like. On fire right now talking to you. I'm like the biggest smile. I'm like, yes, yes. And it's also even re-encouraging me. I love that we just had a moment earlier of self-correcting because it's like, it's just the the honest to goodness truth is, I think this is so normalizing for people listening. It's like, cause I think what what was hard for me maybe a few years ago, I had come so far in my healing journey, and then I you know would go through a tougher season where some crazy things were happening in my life and it just felt like a tornado and I would slip into some of my past tendencies of self-hating or a big a body shame mm-hmm. or whatever it was and i and then i would then the shame would start coming in like a cloud like kate you've come so far why are you doing this again you know better than that and all these you should you should you should you should i would be shooting myself all the time and i think the the point is that we're on a journey and so just yeah. to be able to allow ourselves the space that no matter how long it's been since your abusive situation since the trauma you've endured Like this is a journey and it can be 10 years later, 15 years, 20 years. And to give yourself grace as you continue to go on the journey, because as we shame ourselves for continuing for falling into past mindsets or past habits, it doesn't allow us the freedom to walk past those things. You know, it just makes us more stuck in those places. And so uh, I think it's just so beautiful that we can normalize that even you know, you've been out of it for about 20 years, I think you said, and I've been out of my situation for, I don't know now, eight, nine years. So, and still it's just being able to say, okay, today was harder. I'm going through a harder season, but I have the, I have more tools now and I'm going to not allow myself to go into shame and instead press into love and compassion and more quickly grab onto that tool that I've developed through my healing journey,
1: you know? Yeah. Yeah. And it's true, even in relationships. You know, I'm married today. Yeah. And my marriage is not perfect, <laughs> um, <laughs> but <laughs> and and he's a you know like he's not an abuser, which is awesome. But he um, he probably uh, errs on the side more of like codependency and stuff. And so that's his own journey that he's walking out. Um, you know he he has not had the like years of therapy I've had. So I'm, I'm driving him to therapy, but, (laughs) um, but, but I think the reminder too, that like, even when you're in a healthy, normal healed relationship and you, and you find that sort of redemptive love, it's not going to be perfect. And there's going to be triggers and there's going to be moments where it's hard, but like you said, there's tools available and, and there's ways to walk it out in a healthy way and to catch yourself when you're falling into patterns that have led to unhealthy. And other relationships, and to challenge yourself to to constantly grow, um, because I think the healthier we are, the healthier our relationships are. You know, like the more health you're bringing the more health you're going to bring into your relationship. So yeah, I, I just want to encourage people too, that even that, even, you know, even when you find you're happily ever after and you walk down the aisle and, and you're, and you're in it, um, if you've had a history of abuse, there's going to be, there's going to be traumas that come up and and triggers that get hit. And I mean, I would be lying if I didn't say there were times when my husband like talks to me a certain way. And I am like right back in that trauma headspace of like, oh my gosh, like I'm not safe and it's not real. Right. But it's my neural pathways firing and telling me fight or flight because, you know, because we're fighting about like Cheerios or something dumb <laughs> you know? yeah,
0: yeah, yeah. And, and all of a sudden you're like he's going to abandon me or he doesn't hear me or whatever it is yes and you're like me. yes yes and this is about cheerios but it i totally feel you and you're, and they're sitting there like okay wait this is cheerios and you're like off in this whole different land like you know and then i'm on the yeah. floor crying and i'm like what happened <laughs> you know
1: but and so encouraging husbands that you marry to get training on trauma, like the more my husband has learned about my amygdala and um, my hippocampus and, yes. you know, and my, wow. and, so my trauma and I love and, it. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Like the more he understands that, the more he knows how to handle when those things happen, because those things are going to happen. You know, if you have, if you have a lot of deep trauma, those things definitely can happen in a moment. And so just if you're in that moment, I want to have, I want to say, have grace for yourself. And I want to just shower grace on you because I know what it's like to be like, Oh, I went through all this. I thought I was healed, but now this stuff that's coming out and it's coming out in these ways, there is grace and grace and grace for all of it. And, and you're still like, you're not, you may not be where, where you want to be, but you're not where you were. Yes. Oh, You may not be where you want
0: to be, but you're not where you were. Man, a friend said to me the other day. I was having a hard day, and I had a really big event that I had to be on for, and I didn't sleep at all, and I was just like feeling anxious, and I was like, I needed that sleep, and and I started going into just some self hating mindsets. And she texts me. She's like, In these moments, I just I try to remind myself that I am stronger than I give myself credit for, and my body can handle more than I think it can. And I was like. Oh my gosh. That's a, that's exactly what I needed to hear today. And then I, I was flooded in my mind all these moments that God has helped me to be a conqueror, you know, of conquering it wasn't easy journeys, but that I am stronger than I give myself credit for. Them. My body can handle more than sometimes I think that it can and that is such a gift. And so it's just that moment of like, yes, okay, I needed that fuel today, you know? And so can, I think those moments are just beautiful to keep reminding ourselves like especially when you're on the journey through healing from trauma and abuse like wow what a profound thing to know that you have you have you're healed you're a healer you are a conqueror like you are so strong to even go through that and be on the other side and seek healing it's such a beautiful thing to recognize of in yourself of like you're what a strong amazing woman that you are and so ah oh, okay holly i could talk to you forever i love your story i'm so grateful even just for all the places our conversation went today but i'm gonna to end with asking you the same question that everyone gets asked, which is what's your final nugget of
1: dating advice for the listeners today? Oh man. Okay. Well, I'm going to take this from the perspective of someone who has trauma. I want to encourage anyone listening who has trauma to date the nice guy. Just do it and push past that thing in you that's telling you it feels like an itchy sweater and go out on a second date with him. Go out on a third date, let him kiss you, let let your let your mind, body, and soul go there with the guy that you're like. I just wish I liked him because he's the nice guy. Just let yourself try, um, and you know I, I say that from from the perspective of someone who married the nice guy, and I am so grateful every single day that I did. And even in the beginning, it felt a little bit uncomfortable. And I was like, I don't know, he might be kind of nerdy. He seems yeah, like he is. Is this going to be
0: boring? Like
1: that's what my brain yes. goes to. My, is this going to be know boring? What? It is. It is very boring. <laughs> It is, but you know what? There's enough excitement and drama all over my life that I do not need that in my relationship. Yes, we, yes. We need boring in our relationships far more than anyone thinks <laughs> because this is your every day and it needs to feel safe and it needs to feel cozy and it needs to feel easy and it needs to be boring because your life is going to be hard and your relationship shouldn't be. And so yeah my advice is go out with the nice guy and give it a chance and and give it a kiss and give it 30 days and and if you don't like it after 30 days you get your you get your days back you can go date somebody else you can go get get another jerk on Tinder uh, give that nice guy that youth group kid, that nerdy, that nerdy guy who keeps who keeps staring at you in your Bible study, who's a <laughs> little a quirky, chance. a little Give weird,
0: a not a suave, but doesn't have the best pickup lines. Give him the shot, everyone. I love it. Give that guy a shot. Yes, the pure hearted guy. They're so great. Oh my gosh.
1: They're so sweet. And you will not regret marrying that guy. I am telling you right now, you will not regret marrying a guy who is kind. I remember being so attractive to impressive men. And when I started dating Jeff, my husband, I I was like really struggling and just taking it to God. And I was like, but he's not impressive. He's not Googleable. He's not. And I (laughs) remember the Lord saying, he is impressively kind. And that's what you need. And I was like, oh, I've been looking for the wrong kind of impressive. And so if you can find yourself a man who's impressively kind, you're going to be good in this world.
0: Wow. That, That spoke to me, Holly. I love it. Are you going to give the nerdy guy a chance now? Yes, exactly. I'm going out with the nerdy okay. guy. Okay, because uh, I'm going to set you ex- up. I have some <laughs> yeah. nerds I could set you up <laughs> I with. I love it. I love it. The nerdy, It's <laughs> I have, th- what you're saying has been proven through some of my very close friends in recent years. All women who have, you know, trauma in their past where the guy that came along in their life was the guy that was more nerdy, that was more consistent, that was kind of basic, you know, vanilla maybe. And they're the guy, that's the guy that I saw. And I was like, no, no, you stay with this guy as an outsider, I was like, this yeah. is good. You stay with this guy. And they're like, but it's kind of boring. And no, no, no. Do you see how consistent this man is? Do you see how kind and patient he is with your trauma? Do you see what a container he has emotionally for you? And I just encourage them to specific women and they've both gotten
1: married. <laughs> they are so happy yes. and so And thankful. happily married. Yes. So I want to challenge the women listening, change your dating profile. And we want to see you change your dating app profile to say looking for a basic nerd <laughs> Guy, screenshot it and send it to us. I'll yes! give you free jewelry if you do yes! it. I will. Oh I'll send God. you some sanctuary project. I'll be so freaking proud of you if you change your dating profile to say, yes. looking for a basic nerdy guy oh and, gosh, and see what Holly. see who shows up. Yeah. Who shows up in your, yes! in your inbox. <laughs> Man,
0: it's so true. I have a dating program called Drop the Hanky, and I always tell the women, I'm like, when we release the hot guy on there, because sometimes we have like really, really, really cute Christian guys on there, and the women are like all about that guy. And I'm like, okay, like he's, he's probably, he's okay. He's probably a good guy. But what about all these other guys, y'all? Like there's so many others. This guy over here, who's a little nerdy, who is so sweet, who wore a tie in his video. What about him? You know, like so sweet. Marry Marry the guy with the tie. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, like. And I'm like, uh, you, of course your chances are lower when you reach out to the hot guy. Everybody's reaching out to that guy. Go for this guy. And he knows it. (laughs) yes he knows it oh my gosh all right. Man, Girl, this is so amazing. If if people listening, they they have to connect with you. How do they connect with you? Find out about Sanctuary Project. Tell us all the things.
1: So you can find me at hollychristinehayes.com. Um, there you'll find links to my podcast, my Instagram, which is where I live on social, and then uh, to Sanctuary Project. Um, and the um the website for Sanctuary Project is sanctuaryproject.com. You can shop all our jewelry there. Um, and you can find us on Instagram at at sanctuary underscore project. <laughs> Oh my gosh, wonderful!
0: Oh gosh, I just love you, girl. I'm coming to see you some in these future. Same. Much. Did we just become best friends? Yeah, I think we did. Everyone just witnessed our first like friend date. We just went on a date. Just know. it was recorded. This you was know? so fun.
1: I know I had a blast. And you called me out when I was like had negative self talk. Like I feel like we can do this. I encouraged you to date the nerd. I feel yes, like we're going to be good. We're for each in life
0: other. now. We're doing this in life, girl. <laughs> Let's do it. My goodness, you guys, isn't Holly just phenomenal? I love her story. I love who she is. I love seeing how much God has redeemed her story. And talk about transforming pain into purpose, which is part of the subtitle of my book, Thank You for Rejecting Me. Gosh, you guys, Holly has done just that. She has transformed her pain into this purpose-filled, beautiful nonprofit enterprise of Sanctuary Project, which is just incredible. It is such a beautiful organization. So I don't know who's listening to this who needed this today, but I just want you to know you are in my thoughts. You are in my prayers. You are not alone. And I'm just praying that this episode and this conversation and hearing Holly's story ignited you to understand and know that there is a new way for you. Well, what a great conversation day with Holly. As always, I'm so grateful that you tune in and I will see you next week.